book of Colossians chapter 3. Well, I just want to, as you're finding your text there, just begin with our text that we'll be looking at, um, at least it's stated. It says, wives, Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And I just need to tell you that a lot of guys have actually told me they're doing real good in this department here on verse 19. Um, felt like they're doing a fine job in their roles. Some guys told me that they're not going to be able to be here today. And then when I keep that in mind, the fact that this is Super Bowl Sunday, and that is actually a major national holiday for a lot of men, I, I kind of, if, if everybody's doing fine on this, I thought we would then probably just then move right into our series on parenting isn't for cowards. So if everybody's fine with that, that's what we're going to do. Is that... Everybody's good. Oh, wait, don't leave, ladies. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Many a wife assured me that their husband is going to be here today. Okay. And I don't know how they got here, but uh, one lady, I was eating at a restaurant. She came up to me and she told me that her husband last week sitting in service during the message, his head was just bobbing like this the whole time, drove her crazy. She assured me he would be here today, and I'm looking around, and lo and behold, he made it. Awesome. Okay, so, all right, we are going to talk about this. But, you know, when we, Colossians 3.19, when you see that husbands love your wives, do not be embittered against them, what happens is it just kind of gets glossed over. Like, yep, 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 good, husbands love your wives, and we just kind of move on. It not only gets glossed over, but, you know, it's actually not really understood very well. And... Let's just talk about what is God called Christian husbands to do? What is a Christ-centered husband to do? And he says, husbands, love your wives. That word love there, agapao, agape love, is a love of a commitment of the will. It is to seek to do that which is in the best interest of another person, irrespective of how they're behaving. It's not conditional, it's unconditional. It's the kind of love that God has for his people, it is the kind of love that he wants to develop in the lives of those who know him. In fact, it is a present tense. It means to continually, on an ongoing basis, you love your wife unconditionally. And just to review a little bit from last week, if you need two key words when it comes to relationships, um, Dr. Emerson Egridge, he actually wrote a book called Love and Respect. And the whole book, if you want to know what it's all about, it's love and respect. Those are huge words. For instance, love without love, which is a wife's deepest need, she has a tendency to act without respect. On the other hand, without respect, which is a husband's deepest need, he has a tendency to react and respond without love. Now, let me just tell you that what we see in Colossians 3:19, you find the kind of the expanded version of that in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 33. And in that passage, it tells us that husbands are the head of their family. In fact, it says in Ephesians 5:23, it says, "For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ also is the head of the church." So a husband has a role and the role is that of a leader. But he also has a responsibility because in Ephesians 5.25, just a couple verses later, Paul writes that husbands, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Sacrificially, giving. You are to love her no matter if she's lovely, being lovable. You have an unconditional love for her. Now, when it comes to marriage, we are talking absolute equality. 
Husband, wife, absolutely equal. And it's an interdependence. We are not competing. We are complementing. And just like you see in the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, absolutely, completely equal. And yet they have individual roles. So you have in marriage. You have absolute equality, but you have roles in which the husband and the wife are to fulfill. And we're to complement one another. We're, we're not competing. And so husbands, when you said, I do, you said, I do to loving her as she needs to be loved. It's an unconditional love. Now, folks like to get hung up on verse 18, and we spent a whole week talking about that. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Let me just tell you something here, guys. You are never commanded in the scripture to tell your wife, you need to be subject to me. You need to submit to me. Uh-uh, it's not in there. A wife, it is her privilege, her joy, and her choice to align herself under your leadership. It's a really, it's between her and God. You are called, I am called, to love my wife. And I'll tell you that a wife will have little trouble aligning herself with her husband's leadership if you are loving her in a sacrificial way. And notice what else the text said. It says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. The idea of being embittered means to speak like unkindly, roughly, harshly, to think harsh thoughts. Lou Priolo, in his book, The Complete Husband, he actually kind of outlined what does, Im- what does it look like to be an embittered husband? Let me give you some evidences. Like frequent arguments, outbursts of anger, withdrawal, kind of giving the silent treatment of the cold shoulder. Diminished affection, sarcasm, mocking, ridiculing, a a lack of kindness and sympathy, acts of vengeance, condescending communication, like you communicate with your wife like you would communicate with a little child and you do it sarcastically. Those are all indicators that something's not right in your heart. You've become embittered. Uh, You're critical. You're judgmental. You have suspicion and distrust. You have a hypersensitivity. Okay, so it's a pinprick, but you act like she just stabbed you in the heart. And you're like, you know, and you turn it into a huge federal case. It's an indication that you've become embittered. Another one, intolerance, impatience, a misuse of authority where you become authoritarian, dictatorial, domineering, or just a simple lack of respect. Being embittered toward your wife is the opposite of loving her and loving her unconditionally. So how in the world are Christ-centered husbands to love and to lead their wives well? Now, I have, I've told you this last week, I've interviewed quite a few different people, husbands, wives, uh, as we've been going through this series. One guy told me this, you know, the Bible doesn't tell me to watch TV or eat chocolate. And I was like, okay, where are we going with this? And he says, because I just kind of do those things naturally. But loving my wife, that doesn't come as natural. In fact, your flesh is, we're so self-centered, it's all about us. We don't really, we don't want to do anything that doesn't make us happy in the immediate moment. God, on the other hand, is saying, I want you to love her, and I want you to love her unconditionally. So how in the world can we do this? Because it's difficult, and our flesh doesn't want to. Well, let's always start with Jesus. How do Christ-centered husbands love and lead well? You've got to, first of all, know who you really are in Christ. Let's start with Jesus. Remember Colossians chapter 3 verse 1? He says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, 
Keep seeking the things above. You've been raised up with him. Or verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Or verse 4, when Christ, who is our life. The beauty of a Christian is that they, are, they understand their sinfulness, they turn from their sin, and they trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. They're united where his life is actually starting to be lived out through his people. And you know where it's supposed to show up, husbands? Actually, one of the biggest ways is showing up in how you love your wife. And so he says, I want you to love her and I want you to care for her. But you know what? That's not how most people enter into marriage. Most people enter into marriage with the idea of what can I get out of it from a very self-centered perspective. And they have these fanciful ideas what marriage is going to look like, marital bliss. And then they're in for kind of a rude awakening when they realize that their self-centered expectations aren't being met in the way they thought it would be. Let me reinforce a specific truth that we keep talking about. Relationships are designed for far more than your happiness. They are designed for God's glory and for his people's holiness. And so what you do is you start with Jesus. You look at chapter 3, verse 12, and he starts talking about that you're chosen, a holy, beloved, and he wants to develop the characteristics that we've already walked through of compassion and forgiveness and love and joy and forbearing and persevering. He wants to develop that through your life. But it always has to get started with Jesus. So if you're going to love this way, you've got to know who you are, who you really are in Christ. And second of all, you have to grow in your ability to be a loving leader in your home. Now, if you're a single here today, if you're a guy and you're thinking that you might want to be married and God's calling you to that, you want to pay real close attention because you want to be developing the characteristics and the traits that we're going to be talking about today. And if you're a gal and you're considering that God might call you to being married, and that's not God's plan for everyone, all right? But if you think you're supposed to be married or you want to be married, let me assure you, you want to find a guy that demonstrates the traits and the characteristics of truly loving. To the degree that that's not happening in this guy's life is the degree that you're going to have misery in your marriage. It is really good that you brave through all the bad weather we're having here because this is critical. So let's talk about this. If you're going to do this, we... We need to have a fresh vision of what it means to be a man that's not designed by films or the feminist movement or false stereotypes. Because when we talk about husbands loving your wives, there's a reason why guys just kind of gloss over that verse. You know why? Because they feel desperately inadequate. They feel like failures. Pretty good at the job, but when, especially when you say, and love your wife like Christ loved the church, guys just go, oh, man. Because we feel like total failures when it comes to that. We see all of our shortcomings. In fact, you need to remember and know this, that you have a built-in kind of autopilot setting. Your default mode is this, to go back to the patterns you learned from your dad and you watched in their marriage. So how can we do this well? Uh, I just want to, we're going to spend all of our time talking about this. You need to learn to love and lead well. It is a process of learning to love and lead well and you want to look and see that your wife is thriving. You're looking to see her thrive. So let's just talk about this. Learning to love and lead well. It's an ongoing process. By the way, this is done in obedience to Christ. You want to make sure that Christ is at the center of your relationship equation. When you see yourself loving Christ and you have a heart for him, you want to see him exalted and lifted up, like it talks about in Colossians 3.17, it actually makes it far more easier to love your wife because you're actually 
living for Christ, which gives you the power and the strength to actually love your wife. So what do wives need from their husbands? If you're like, man, I'm married and my wife is so complex and I can't get this figured out, could you just spell it out real simply? What in the world are wives looking for from their husbands? Well, first thing they're looking for is a sense of direction and initiative. They want to know where are we going relationally, spiritually, financially, professionally. They, they'd like to know, and they want to be involved in the discussions and the shaping of that. This isn't you like coming down from the mountain like, this is how it's going to be, okay? No. It's a team. We're talking. We're discussing, and that's what wives are looking for. Let me read you an excerpt from a letter of a mother of three who said this. Quote, my husband hasn't made a decision regarding our family in two years. He makes no attempt to discipline the children. That's left to me. He never consults me about taking out-of-town work assignments. He comes and goes seemingly without any regard for my feelings or our children's needs. They don't even know him. All he does is come home from time to time and break our routine before leaving again. I don't have three children. I have four. And this husband apparently says, you know, in a couple weeks we're going to set some time aside and we're going to deal with these issues and talk about them, but it never happens. You know what happens, don't you? He reverts to passivity and she grows bitter, cold, and closes down. Now, the feminist movement, they, uh, they don't like verse 19. They really hate verse 18 because they, they, they don't understand what's being called for. They don't have the picture of Christ loving the church. And what they say is that, you know, you telling husbands to be leaders and stuff like that in their home, well, that's going to turn them into these conquering dictators, and they're going to be hard and heavy on their wives and make their lives miserable. I'll just tell you, for years of being pastor, a pastor and a counselor, that is actually not my experience. I have met a few guys who are overbearing and dictatorial, mean-spirited, and we've had some tough conversations. And I look them in the eye and tell them, you're wrong and you're sinning against your wife. It's not how it's supposed to be. But for the most part, it's not the overbearing. They actually, for most of the men, it's because they've, they've become totally passive. They're just like milled into the woodwork of the wall. They're, they're just not involved. And so wives, they want to have a sense of direction. They want to see what's going on. They want to be involved in that process. And men start developing the shell of non-responsiveness. They prevent anybody getting too close to them. And so they have these psychological and even physical barriers where they just like a bubble and you can't enter into my space and they go passive. Now, Robert Lewis in his book, Rocking the Rules, he has a chapter titled Common Head Aches, okay? Common Head Aches. And he lists the top five most discouraging male leadership roles and models, okay? So let me just give them to you. One, the irresponsible headship. This guy is thoroughly self-centered, but he manages to appear that he's a loving and devoted husband. Then you got a guy who's emotionally detached, and this is the emotionally detached headship, where his heart is not in it. He can go through the motions. He doesn't like to say the right words, but if he has to, like he has to say, I love you, or I'm proud of you, or good job, there's no heart to it. He could say the words, but there is no heart. It's, it creates great amount of heartache for a woman. Another headship model that's totally dysfunctional and discouraging. This is the dictatorial headship. This guy has a high need for control. I mean, anger is his primary emotion, and he is just running the ship with an iron hand. And it's kind of like an injured bear. My dad said, you boys, you stay away from a bear if you ever see one, and especially stay away from an injured bear. Because an injured bear 
doesn't like anything or anybody around them, and they don't even like themselves. That actually describes quite a few males. They're, they're, there's something going on in their heart. They are embittered and they are enraged. They, they cannot handle another opinion behind their own. They're always making threats. People are treading lightly around them. Their life is miserable for the few times they look in the mirror and everyone around them is lives. Totally difficult. Miserable. Rather be away from them. Let me give you another headship model that's very discouraging. This is the workaholic husband. They, work is more than a job for them. Man, work is their obsession. And they give themselves fully to it. And it's the idea, they kind of think like, you know, I am providing for my family. And so I'm going to work the 80, 90 hours a week, whatever it takes to make this happen. And they think they're providing for their family. And you are. But they need far more than money. They need you. They need you involved in their life. They need you present at times. You've got to be engaged. And so you want to understand that if you're a workaholic, this is very discouraging to your wife. And then the final one he lists is the spiritually apathetic headship. He's a nice guy. He might even help around the house. But when it comes to spiritual matters, he is shut down. Doesn't really pray. Doesn't really read the Bible. Never enters into a spiritual conversation. It's spiritual apathy. And let me tell you, it drives your wife crazy. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to understand everything about the Bible. No one does. They just want a sense of direction that you're moving forward. If you're like, dude, you just read through some of those and that you just described me. Is there any hope for me? Yeah, there is. There's hope because there's Christ and you can change. You don't have to live like that anymore. Are you ready to stop? Are you crying uncle? Or are you going to kind of keep doing this for a few more years? You're driving yourself, you're depressed, you're discouraged, I hate the way I am. But on the other hand, your wife is like, oh, I can't handle this anymore. Are you ready to change? Because if you are, there's Christ. And all you have to do is simply engage him, yield him. If you confess your sins, he forgives you. He wants you to experience the joy of knowing him in every aspect of your life. You can change your strength. Stop doing it on your own. Start saying, God, would you help me to love my wife? And just see what Jesus can do. We've already seen what you can do, and maybe that's not so good, right? You know what else you can do? You can change your heart. You can repent. You can actually change the way you pray. Instead of, God, would you really change my wife? She's driving me crazy. To, Lord, would you change me and my heart? Because I think I'm driving everybody else crazy. You can actually change who's influencing your life. Do you have a mentor? Is there someone that is helping you see how Christ could be manifest in your life, challenging you, helping you take the next steps, or are you kind of doing the Lone Ranger going it alone? Or worse yet, you're finding models on TV. No, change who's influencing your life. And let me tell you something to change. Change how you use your time. Become intentional. Have you ever seen an orchestra without a conductor? Anybody ever seen one of those? Probably not. How about a team without a quarterback? Okay, some of you have. It's called Wildcat, okay? I'm just helping you out. But even then, the guy is still running the play, all right? There is a leader out there. I can assure you that we'll just make it up and everybody do whatever you want, right? Have you ever seen a compass without a needle or a boat without a rudder? Probably not. And if you have, you know that they're not functioning the way they should. So it is without a family, with a family, without a husband who's saying, you know what? I'm going to take the initiative. I'm going to try to lead. A wife wants a sense of direction and initiative. That doesn't mean that you become a lording leader 
It doesn't mean you make all the decisions. It doesn't mean that you have to be like Mr. Outgoing, you know, kind of rally the troops kind of guy. Absolutely not. Just be who you are. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't delegate or that your wife can't initiate. But what it does mean is that you actually make the investment as the leader of your home. You take responsibility. You take the initiative. You look to serve your wife and your family. And that means that you assume the responsibility to love them, to care for them, to communicate with them. And that, that also occurs on the spiritual realm. Let me just tell you this. One guy told me that he, he actually has learned how to pray with his wife. Okay, not only pray for her, but pray with her. Now, if you've never done this before, it's it just like you see your wife is having a bad day or there's a decision to be made or she's got something big going on or whatever, or maybe it's just a normal day, and you say, hey, I, I just, let me just pray for you. She's going to give you the what? This look like what in the world has gotten into you? All you have to say is, hey, it's all because of Jesus. Just close your eyes. And you just pray, and you can pray quickly. And I'll, let me tell you what that communicates. That communicates, I love you. I want you to know that. And the same guy said, you know, and when I do that, my, it's like my grace bucket gets a lot bigger. So when I do mess up, she's far more gracious with me. Do you know why? Because she knows that you love her. Let me tell you, you want to take, a, she wants a sense of direction and initiative. She wants you to be working on the finances. She wants you to take the initiative when forgiveness needs to be asked. Husbands, you lead your lives well when you love them like Jesus. You lead them well. Most women do not want their men to die for them. They want their men to live for them. If you're a husband and someone came in and it's like, hey, someone's going to die, you or your wife, I'd say most of you men, if not all of you, say, okay, I'm, I'm stepping in. I do. Not a problem. You would do it. And I don't think you even think much about it. Actually, that is far easier than living for your wife. She doesn't want a moment in time. She wants a lifetime of investment. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. When I was interviewing these ladies as I was working on this series, I asked them, like, what is it that you'd want to communicate to your husbands? Let me give you some quotes. Do not be afraid to make decisions. Volunteer to make the first step. Lead the process. Involve us in the discussion. And don't be overbearing or insensitive. What happens if you don't engage, women then have to take on the roles. They're going to make the family work. They'll do whatever it takes. You go passive. You avoid your responsibilities. They step in, but then they start feeling overwhelmed and it's overbearing. And one of the ladies said that it makes us bitter. And one lady said it actually leads to divorce. They're looking for someone, their husband, to take a sense of direction and initiative. Let me tell you something else that they're looking for. They're also looking for security. They want a sense of physical security, like a place to live, an apartment, a home, condominium. They, they want a place to live. They, they want food to eat, clothes, um, some sort of semi-reliable transportation, okay? I mean, all of us have had the scenario where our wife has been stranded on the side of the road because we drive by vehicles that have over 200,000 miles on them, okay? But they would like a sense of physical security. And that's real good. In fact, if you're like, oh, really? Is that important? Actually, it's really important to God. First Timothy 5.8 says, you know, if anyone does not provide for their own, uh, especially of those in their own household, they are worse, worse than an unbeliever and they have like forsaken the faith. 
So God takes it really seriously that you are actually caring for and providing for your family. Um, you know, she said she'd follow you to the ends of the earth. And I mean, think about it. Look, here you are in Waco of all places. She did it. She has followed you. You're here, right? She's committed, but she wants a sense of security that you're in it with her. You care for her. And, but it's far more than physical. She wants relational security. She wants to know that you're a safe person, that you can, she can talk to you, that you're not just going to go ballistic all the time, that you care for her, that you, you think about her and her needs. And let me just tell you that if you're a husband here, but you're tied pretty closely to your mama, I mean, she's still got you on those apron strings, and she's kind of running the show in your marriage, you need to stop that. There is a leaving and a cleaving. And by the way, if you're a parent here, and you're trying to run your kid's show, stop it. I've seen a lot of marriages messed up because mom or dad, they take over. It shouldn't be that way. You need to back off. You are actually creating more problems in their marriage than you are helping. So what you need to do is your wife needs to know that there's security, that it really is. You, she is the number one earthly relationship you've got right there, not mama or what dad is trying to do. Let me tell you some other things about security. If, if you're in between jobs, you're going to find that your wife can be actually pretty resilient. In fact, far more resilient than you would expect. As long as she knows that you are out there, that you are looking for a job, your resumes are out there, you're out on the streets, you're talking, you're on the internet, you are connecting, you are praying, you're engaging. As long as she sees that you're trying hard, it's going to be fine. But she can't handle someone who's lazy or acts like a bum. That creates all sorts of security issues for her. Let me tell you something else about security. She needs you to be trustworthy, that you're a man of your word. If you have developed a pattern of lying, even like, you know, little lies, she probably doesn't need to know all of these details, and you shading it all the time, that, breaks, that brings trustworthy issues. She starts feeling insecure. When you become unreliable, if you start engaging in pornography, you fail to show concern for her, you're not communicating your whereabouts, all of this leads to trust erosion, and one of the things she's looking for in her husband is security, relational security. You, by the way, you want to be on the same page financially. Don't think like, oh, I'll just spare my wife knowing about the finances, I'll take care of it all. Actually, she wants to know. Some wives want to know a whole bunch about the finances, some not so much, but they want to be involved in this. They want to know, do we have money? Where does our money go? And so you want to actually be engaged in those conversations. Do not do this. Don't put your wife in a financial straitjacket, okay? Where she just, she feels like she, you got like this little allowance. And what happens is you just go and make all sorts of decisions. You buy guns, tires, tickets, whatever, electronics. You just buy it. You never consult with her. You just do your own thing. And then uh, she goes out to the coffee shop with some of her girlfriends. And she buys tea or something like that. And you find out about that and you go ballistic. You have a cardiac arrest right there in front of her. And then at the same time, you actually went out and bought a flat screen, but you never talked with her about it. Friends, your wife wants security. And security comes by discussing these things in, in it together. Let me tell you something else she's looking for. She's looking for understanding. She, you know, just like you and I, the, we have to have a sense of who we are. Our strengths, our weaknesses, are we introverts, are we extroverts? What's our gifting? How we're wired? I mean, guys, by the way, You've got to have a, some idea of who you are. But the same is true that you have to start figuring out your wife. Who is she? 
What is she like? What are her dislikes? How is she wired? What recharges her batteries? What are her dreams? What are her gifts? Now, you've probably discovered that your wife is different than you. Voila, right? She is different. Let me read you a rather insightful article that was written to the Arkansas Democrat by a guy by the name of Kevin Cowherd, where he seems to have a high degree of insight in this matter. Quote, Women are very touchy about certain gifts, as I discovered years ago after buying my girlfriend a catcher's mitt for her birthday. It seemed to me a particularly thoughtful gift, especially since she claimed not to be getting enough exercise. He's paying attention, right? But apparently, she didn't see it that way. The minute she unwrapped it, she ran sobbing from the room. At first, I thought those were tears of joy streaming down her face. I figured she was overwhelmed at being the first in her crowd to have a catcher's mitt or that sort of thing. Or I figured she was so excited that she couldn't wait to go outside and work on her throws to second base. But when she didn't return after a few hours, I got the hint. Here I'd spend all that time running around from one sporting goods store to the next just trying to find that perfect gift, and we're talking a Johnny Bench model here. Top of the line, and she calls me insensitive. I mean, you'd think I'd gave her a year's subscription to Field and Stream or a box of shotgun shells, which everybody knows is saved for Christmas stocking stuffers. Personally, I think that she just had a lot of anger in her and took it out on me, not that I'm trying to play amateur psychologist or something. Okay? All right, so that's written humorously, but you know what? There's some truth to that, right? It's kind of like that country song, 1995, this understanding way. Live with her in a way that you actually understand her and you're growing to understand how she functions. In fact, it ends that if you don't do this, that your prayers will be hindered. Do you know that your spiritual life is hindered by your lack of ability to understand and love your wife? If you're having like, man, my spiritual life is totally pathetic, you don't have to raise your hand, but if it's true... Why don't you check and see how you're doing with your spouse? Because if, you, if you're not loving her with understanding, it has huge implications for your life. There is a, a book called The Five Love Languages, uh, written by Gary Chapman. Years ago, uh, Karina read this book. We're out on a walk, and she's telling me about this book that she read, and she says, it's called The Five Love Languages. You really need to read this book. It's really interesting. She's telling me all about it, and I'm like, eh. I mean, that's just not the kind of book that I'm going to be drawn to. I mean, if, let's read a book. If I'm going to read a book like on Gettysburg, you know, Gods and Generals, or Lewis and Clark on Dawn and Courage, yeah, that, that sounds like the kind of book that I'd want to read. Love, five love languages, yeah. Okay, so uh, she's telling me about it, and I'm listening. Um, I didn't read the book, of course. And then we went on this little family little trip there. I'm supposed to take the kids to the pool. I open up the bag, and lo and behold, guess what book is on the very top? The Five Love Languages. You know, Precious moment, precious Moments Edition right there, you know? And I'm like, oh. Okay, I get a hint. I'm not that smart, but I can take a hint. Okay, so I, I take the book with me into the pool, and I start reading it. I tell you what, it was fascinating. Not that it's all comprehensive and it answers all of it, but I tell you what, there's so much good truth, and that very simple book. And he actually, Chapman gives these five languages, and what he's saying is this is how everyone wants to be, to show love and to experience love at a heart, deep-seated level. And he actually talks about what these love languages look like. There are five of them. Your wife has one or more that, that she really re- resonates with, as do you. So the first one is quality time, where you like turn off the TV, or you set aside a time, or you go on a date, and you have quality time. Not just that you're in the same car driving and not talking, but quality time. Another one, he says, is words of affirmation, okay? Where you give specifics. You actually speak words of affirmation to her. Another one is gifts. These are material things. They're not just trinkets or junk, but they are material things that when you buy them and present them, 
they mean a lot. It says, I love you. Another one are acts of service. When you fix the leaky faucet or you help with the dishes or yard work or whatever you do, when acts of service communicate love, and the final one is physical touch, okay? Let's be like pat on the back, a hug, back rub, whatever it is, and it communicates, I love you. Now, just FYI, um, males, like 90% of all males are these two. Words of affirmation, physical touch. Pretty much that's probably your husband if you're married, okay? The wife, women, uh, you might find that they're a hybrid, okay? I, I like all five or something like that. But you figure out which one or how she operates best. And then if you're called to love her, you've got to know what, that, how she receives love. And then you do those things. It's really that easy. So you have to understand her. And she's looking for understanding. Um, let me just tell you something else that wives are looking for from their husbands. They're looking for affection and appreciation. One guy wrote this. You know, I don't understand my wife. She has everything she could want. She's got a dishwasher, a new dryer, a nice house. I've been faithful. I don't even drink. But she is miserable, and I can't figure out why. That's more than just the physical things. She needs affection and appreciation. Let me tell you this, guys. Non-sexual affection, tenderness, equates to I love you. And she's looking for it. In fact, she needs it. Affection and appreciation. You may find that it's easier to give this kind of appreciation, affection to your little daughters and harder for your wife. Because why? Because your wife really knows you, right? She knows all about you, which makes it even more difficult, but she's looking for that from you. Counselors tell us that husbands who make their wives question their appearance or encourage them to dress like drabfully and dowdiness and just kind of like, you need to be really bland. I know you can't wear that or anything like that. Actually, what you're doing is you're controlling her. She wants affection and appreciation. You need to know this. Inside your smart, secure wife is a little girl who desperately needs to know that you find her beautiful and that you are committed to her, that she's your one and only. That's what she's looking for. She wants affection and appreciation. That means you pray for her. You pray with her. You talk with big decisions. You do it with her. You treasure her. You care for her. You prize her counsel. Hey, you talk these things through. What do you think about this? You're engaged. You take your hand in a crowded place. Let me tell you something is seriously wrong with your marriage if you just see your wife as a cook, a housekeeper, an occasional companion, and a sex partner. If that's all you see your wife as, you have missed what God intends marriage to be. She wants affection and appreciation. She wants the joy of being together. The romance at times, but just this, as you go through life, that you're in this together and you express that with affection and appreciation. She's looking for it. Let me tell you something else that wives are looking for. This is communication. This is conversation. There's a sense of openness. There's really no secrets between us. Now, you may think, think that your wife married you because of your good looks or your athletic prowess or how intelligent you are. And that may have something to do with it. However, she probably married you because she thought you could communicate. There in Whataburger, in between burgers, you gave the illusion that you could communicate, that you could talk about deep subjects, what you're feeling, your thought. And she's like, I have never experienced anything like this. As you're hammering down another set of French fries there, you know, she's like, she's watching, she's listening. But now that you're married, all of a sudden, that's all gone dormant. You need to help your wife realize that that wasn't an illusion, that you can communicate. Guys like data 
But women want men to listen and to engage in conversation. You're turning off the TV. And they don't want answers all the time. In fact, they don't want you to be fixing things all the time. Okay, now I'm getting women that are like, whoa, yeah, that's right. Guys, listen up here. You know how it's really stressful you're in those conversations and you're like, okay, just give me the bottom line. Are, are our kids okay? Am I out of money? Did the car get wrecked? What's happening? You, this, the tension, it just almost kills you, right? And you're like, can we just get to the end of the story, right? And no, you, and you can't say, get to the bottom line because that, no, that's, no, if we're going to talk like that, we're not talking, right? They, they're, you're, you and I, as guys, our minds are very simple. Our wives, their minds are complex. They see all these things interrelated. And I can't even explain it to you. Just take me at my word. This is what's going on. You saw on the paper or that it's going to rain tomorrow. And you can tell her about those things. But she wants it a lot deeper than that. She wants communication at a heart level. Needs openness. And she also wants you to take the initiative to resolve conflict in your marriage, to communicate, to talk. In the Chicago Tribune, Cheryl Levin wrote this article called "Things: The Things Women Want. And in this article, she said this, if you only knew, and she's speaking to husbands, if you only knew how much a tender word, a thoughtful act, or an unexpected gift means to us, you would do it, and your life would improve exponentially. And then she says this, when no one's home... Stand in front of a mirror and practice this until you can say it in public. I was wrong. (laughs) And she then goes on to write, after you've mastered that, work on, I am sorry. Okay? That's what she's after. She wants communication. Uh, I'll just tell you this in all seriousness. When you look at women who start developing inappropriate relationships with people of the opposite sex that may end up in full-blown adultery, two things have happened. There is a complete deterioration in their relationship and fellowship with God, and there is a serious breakdown of communication with their husband. Listen to this poem that a lady wrote titled, Life in a Tomb. The emptiness of 20 plus years, the loss of hope, the battle of joy with a good man, a man content to be alone, but he needs me to be the keeper of his house, the mother of his children, a companion, but no communion. How can one endure contented with so little amidst so much material? I worry for my soul living without love. Guys, your wife doesn't want to live in a tomb She wants to live with you. That means you need to communicate with her at a heart level. Let me just tell you something else that women are looking for, what they need from their husbands, and that is commitment, that you appreciate her and that you are in this for the long haul, that you are going to be with her. She needs to know that, like, yeah, he's not flaking out or leaving me. He's with me. Now, ladies... You want to be real careful that you don't put your husband in a position that Christ is supposed to be. If you think that your husband is going to solve all your identity issues, be your inspiration, the wind underneath your wing all the times, make you always feel good, solve all your problems, it is not advisable nor is he capable of fulfilling the role that Jesus is supposed to have in your life. But you need to know this. If your husband is making efforts and growing in this way, you need to commend him and encourage him because you are married to an un common man. 
So what, what does it look like to grow as a loving leader of your home? It learns, you got to learn how to love and lead well. And guys, here's something else that you really want to be looking for. Looking to see that your wife is thriving, that she is moving forward, that she is expressing herself, that she's got self-confidence, there's emotional health, there's a vibrancy, there's a well-being to her life, that there's grace that is being poured into her life and through her life. She's well. Because if you don't, if your wife's not thriving, this is what happens. It's, she starts deteriorating in the inside and pretty soon she can't even fake the smile anymore. And it's like you start seeing it in her eyes and her face is just... And they just start closing down. Guys, to love your wife is to see her thrive, to understand her and to put her in positions where she can truly experience the joy of knowing Christ in the context of a loving relationship. There's a guy by the name of Brian Chappell and he wrote a book called Each for the Other and he said the opposite of seeing your wife thrive was what's taking place in his marriage. And he talks about that his presence actually totally destroyed the self-confidence of his wife. She was a great driver, except when he was in the car. She was a really good conversational, except when he was around. And he said, there were thousands of things that I was doing that were completely eroding my wife. Friends, if that's happening, you need to know that that's not loving your wife. You want to see her thrive. You need a whole reorientation of about you and Christ and about what loving your wife really looks like. And we've been talking about these things. And let me just tell you that loving your wife actually is is directly involved with your sanctification. I can assure you I am a far greater man because I'm married to Karina. And she helps me grow all of my many shortcomings. She helps me take steps to address them. I learn from her. And that's the beauty of marriage. But not only do you grow, but if you are loving your wife, your wife thrives and it's done to the glory of God. And you have a strong marriage. There is a vitality and a vibrancy to it. It's because you're living life the way it was designed. And there's a guy in our church and he cares for his wife. She's got a debilitating disease. And when I was uh, doing these interviews with folks, they referenced this guy and said, he's inspiring to me. Man, you're setting a legacy. You're setting, making ways. People are seeing, man, When they see a guy that loves his wife like that, it inspires them to do the same. If you're going, man, Grant, you gave me too much information. Could you reduce it down to four words to really help me? And I can. You ready? Happy wife, happy life. (gasps) Whoa, I got that. Happy wife, happy life. Or you could rephrase it this way. If mama ain't happy, no one is happy, all right? Happy wife, happy life. Husbands, love your wives. Like one of our elders said when I was interviewing them, you seek her highest good even at your greatest cost. And what happens if you don't do this? Well, you're going to watch the dissolution of your family. I, I can just tell you it will not be what it should be if you're not willing to start growing and being involved in your role. Now, there's a guy I interviewed, and for the first five years in his marriage, he did not do this. And he's married to a great gal, and she gave everything she had, but after five years, she just started closing down. She didn't have any more. And after their two-month hiatus where they took the break, they were almost at divorce. Then God got a hold of the guy's heart. And now they have a vibrant marriage, and it is awesome to see. But it's for the glory of Christ, and it's because of Christ And guys, this can be a reality for you. For some of you, you're like, man, I am experiencing this and I know this. Walking with Jesus and following his design is the best. And for some of you, you're like, man, I want this. And I want you to know it's within your grasp. 
because it's with Jesus. And if you do this, the rewards are awesome. I mean, God is glorified, holiness is developed, oneness is experienced, joy is realized, maturity is manifested, children are loved, and you're going to leave a legacy. And you could, you're living life the way God designed it. So what will it be? One guy said this, the first mistake of marriage is that it's all about me. The second mistake is that it's all about her. My loving my wife should be all about God. We shouldn't have a wife-centered marriage, but we should have a God-centered marriage. So friends, reject passivity. Accept responsibility. And I'd strongly advise you, find a good disciple or a mentor. You weren't made to go this alone. And wives, if you've got a guy who's doing this, of course he's not perfect, okay? Duh. You're married to an uncommon man. He needs to hear from you. One guy told me when his wife comes and tells me, hey, I I believe you could do this or I'm for you, he said this, I know that I'm not alone. Because a lot of guys, they might be around a lot of people, but they feel like they're alone until their wives say, hey, I'm for you. I'll just close with this. Dr. Robert Sizer, in his book, Mortal Lessons, Notes in the Art of Surgery, he tells of performing a surgery to remove a tumor in which uh, it severed a nerve on this gal's face. And he writes of this experience of of what it took place because now her face is, is permanently twisted because that nerve is severed. And listen to what he writes in his own words. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they, I ask myself? He and this wry mouth I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously and greedily. The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say. It will. It is because the nerve was cut. She nods, and she's silent. But the young man smiles. Hey, you know, I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god, unmindful. He bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I, so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to her, to show her that their kiss still works. Husbands, you want to love your wives. Like it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, enjoy the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you. And so remember this. Is your wife, is your wife thriving? And are you, are you growing? Relationships are far more than your happiness. They're for God's glory and for his people's holiness. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for an amazing passage of Scripture. God, you know us and our shortcomings. And Father, we confess our sin. We want you and we want your power in our lives. So God, would you transform us inside out? Help us to take next steps of grace that our marriages would be all that you've intended. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.